This is the Unity Community of Central Oregon podcast. Well, you didn't ask what it means to be a minister, but if you did, one of the parts of what it means is to be in a state of reverence because we get to witness something like that on a regular basis. And not just our musicians, but all the beautiful ways that y'all show up. That's, that's what it means to me to be a minister. So, the first question that we got online from way back when this was announced was, how do we get people if Cain and Abel were the only kids? Lisa Jordan, <laughs> thank you for that one. So, um, I, I'm going to start with that one because, obviously, if we take that literally, there is a problem. But the Bible was not meant to be literal, just in general. And specifically, all those stories that come in the early times were not meant to be literal. They are myth. And that myth doesn't mean not true. There's truth to them, but it isn't literal truth. So when you think about First of all, let's start with Adam and Eve, the story that involves Adam and Eve, which is not the only creation story that's in there. You, you have to think about why is the story in there in the first place? And they have different purposes. But in the story of Adam and Eve, the word Adam comes from a word Adama, which means dust. So basically, Adam means dust creature, which, you know, if you have little boys, you can see that this is appropriate. <laughs> and then Eve means mother of all the living. So this is like the story every man. You know, this is every man. It isn't a particular guy whose name was Adam and a particular woman whose name was Eve. They stand in for those who bring forth humanity. And the children... You know, if you actually read the Bible and you go through the storyline, it's like there's a lot of gaps there that just do not make sense because they weren't trying to make literal sense of it. They, when you get to Cain and Abel and the killing of one, it, it's really a way of saying, in the beginning, we were in paradise. And something went really wrong. We've got things going on like murder of siblings. That's not okay. And you have things continuing to degenerate, and they're trying to find a way to express that things started out so well, at least they imagine that they did. And how did we get to this? And then you have stories like the flood and Noah's Ark, because it's like, oh, it's gotten so bad, we're going to wipe it all out. And you think, okay, it'll be all good now. And then the next thing you know, everybody's fighting again. We've got the Tower of Babel, and we're going to knock that down. And now they can't even understand each other anymore. See how you like that. So those are, those are not things that happened. They're a way of communicating 
something went wrong. Even in the Garden of Eden, there, here's the snake. The snake represents, well, you can, you can interpret these on so many levels, but this, the snake represents the Canaanite religion, which was the main temptation at the time that this particular story was written. And so they're saying, stick with the truth that you know. Don't be listening to these other temptations over here. The great contribution that the Hebrew people make was the idea of monogamy to one God. Because if you think, I mean, you all studied the Greek literature in high school for sure, and you know there are all these gods and goddesses. The Hindus have a gazillion gods and goddesses, and, and they all have archetypal value so I'm not saying that those are wrong. I'm just saying what was unique about the Hebrews is they said, no, there's only one. So in the garden, they're, they're representing how easy it is to think about, oh, there's all these other gods over here and listen to that. And they're saying, don't do that. That brings suffering. Stick with the truth that we know that there's only one, which is what unity teaches. So anyway, hope that answers your question, Lisa. <laughs> could, could, I, could I add just a little bit to that? Yeah. Is it on? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so uh, if for those of you that are so rational that you want to know that there is a possibility that could have happened, actually there was a third child born, Seth, and then there was daughters born, at least a couple of them in the Bible in the early part, but in Josephus there is... Uh, 33 sons and 23 daughters because Adam and Eve lived into their 900 years. So there's so many possibilities of having... <laughs> and the last thing I'll say is that when Cain was sort of banished to wander, uh, he said, I don't want to do that because people will kill me. Well, wait a minute, people? Okay, <laughs> my point. It's not possible that everything in the Bible is literal. You've got to really take it metaphysically. I brought it. One of Unity's great contributions is a metaphysical interpretation of the entire Bible. And um, Charles Fillmore actually wrote the Metaphysical Bible Dictionary. And as I've been going through ministerial school, we've had to use this a lot. Um, and I had not, I had no use for the Bible because I was raised with biblical literal um, approach, but Unity has really transformed it for me as a powerful um, metaphysical learning tool and really having a different approach. Do you want to um, go around to the people with their hands raised? Dave has one and Joanne has one. We also have several online too. Okay, cool. Okay. All right, we're going to go right to right. Joanne. So, uh, your talk made me think of a question in that um, from our history, man, human, humanity has been pretty violent the whole entire time humanity's been around. And I know as unity, we always talk about um, do what you can, but you know, don't focus on the violence, don't focus on 
whatever's out there. And I love that Kevin did his talk last week about the positivity of, of uh, Ted Lasso. My question is, is, is there really hope <laughs> for humanity will be sort of back in the Garden of Eden and nonviolent, everybody's going to live in love and peace? Or is it just going to continue that those people who need to learn whatever they need to learn about violence and their lives that way? Or, um, and we, and those who just want to live in love and peace will be living in our world, so to speak. Will they ever come together? Will there ever be? Or is it not something we should be concerned about? Or is it going to be thousands and millennia from now that it may concern? So, small question. It's not. <laughs> uh, by the way, she has the answer to that. <laughs> yes. She, she knows so much more than she gives, lets on. If she were up here, she would be giving you the answers to these. One of those things that I think we really can't know, but one of the reasons I am so committed to unity and to the breadth of to indigenous, you know, to the breadth of spirituality rather than religion, is that I think if humanity does not, I think even in my environmental work, which I've done my whole life, I've always believed we're gonna own humanity is only going to come into a healthy relationship with the rest of nature when we have a an evolutionary step in consciousness. And I do believe it is possible for enough people to tune into that kind of a vibration that we can bring a rapid shift. Um, whether or not we'll do it in time, I don't know. That's my take on it. But I do think that we have no hope if we don't do the internal work, and then take unity principle into action, into demonstration in the world. And I would add, uh, be the change that you want to see in the world. And it starts with us, within. And we can make it happen in our world. And as we do, we can watch it radiate outward. And I think in addition to that, which is kind of what we can do personally, there's something called spiral dynamics. I don't know if you've heard of it, but that's a whole talk in itself. And, and essentially, it means that we have, as a human species, been continuing to evolve. And it's a spiral. And it continues to get higher and higher in consciousness. And if you, if you look back to like prehistoric times or there's just, it's way too big to say this, but, but it's a hopeful thing. And one of the things that happens as we go into a new level of the spiral is there's what we would call a dark ages. And, and that is, for some reason, maybe it's like it's always darkest before the dawn, but that darkness precedes great light. So right now, I think we are in a time of great darkness. But if you know that that, that means that we are coming around in the cycle, focus on the, on the upward spiral that we're going to rather than the darkness, because that will help us all make the move. Great question. Thank you. Eric? Uh, my question is kind of on a more 
Um, I'm hoping I'm using these terms. That sound, that's a good macrocosmic answer, and I'm more of on, on a microcosmic level. <laughs> when when uh, I, I'm having in my own life a lot of instances where you just can't convince people um, to, to, to work within unity style principles or thinking. And I guess my question is, how do we handle that in ways that don't give up our own uh, dignity, I guess is the word I'm looking for. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. That's not quite right, but it's, I don't want to spend time hemming and hawing over word choices. Um, and, and not becoming a doormat for everybody who is going to take advantage of our willingness to compromise to, for the sake of unity. I don't. Hmm. So I, I'm a little confused with the question because I, it sounds like you're talking about in the name of unity, you are compromising and maybe to the extent of being a doormat. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, if you are on diametrically opposed points of view and you say, okay, well, I'll try to put out the, the olive branch, so to speak, it's, it's easy for a person to, I mean, I found that, the, the, huh? Take advantage of that, yeah. And then next thing you know, your, your boundaries are gone and you, well, what did I, what happened? <laughs> yeah, so I think that boundaries are, they're not in opposition to unity. So having healthy boundaries is really important. You, you don't have to get into, they have something diametrically opposed in terms of their point of view. You don't have to fix them. They're, they're entitled to their opinion. They're not broken. They're just, it's part of, when, when we look at the whole picture, like, like fractal images, it seems like, it seems like things are wrong, but when you put them all together, there's a pattern that's actually beautiful. And even the things that we don't like fit into the pattern somehow. But we don't have to, we don't have to be that way. We get to be our own way. And we don't, we don't have to let somebody across the boundary it's hard to talk in generalities with that, but, but boundaries are good and unity is in favor of them. <laughs> yeah, can I tag on to yeah. that? I really very much agree with that. And I don't think it is, I don't think it's violent to say, you know, I'm going to put, I'm going to divorce this relationship for a while. I don't think it is in opposition of unity to say, I'm not going to allow that behavior. And I don't, I personally, I, and the true ministers up here can check me or anyone else. I also think it's okay to say, I completely disagree with that opinion. And I'm gonna, and I'm gonna stay here. I recently learned, Eric, your question resonates with me because I have a difficult time living up to the unity ideal that I want to demonstrate often with my son. And I've learned this really cool thing lately. It's called the triangle of drama. And the t the t it's about relationships. And it's when the, p the players put themselves or the other person in one of three positions, um, victim, villain, or hero. 
And I have so, that is so resonant for me with my son because he'll often try to put me in villain and it pisses me off so much because I realize I've been kind of putting myself in hero. But when I do that, I'm not seeing him whole. I'm seeing him as victim. So, and then I feel like I'm victimized, right? It's crazy. So the whole point is to get off the triangle. And I just put that out there. It's a new learning that's been helpful to me. That particular yeah. triangle is, is creator, actor, and coach. This is why I like to jump on the stage. <laughs> Ta-da! I would add one more thing, uh, and just, that, that's just that if you live your truth 100%, it almost doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. What you think of me is none of my business. You've heard that before. And... Uh, live your life so that everything you say and everything you do is in alignment with your philosophy. Your behavior follows that philosophy. We had that teaching with teenagers. They would, they would talk about their highfalutin philosophy, and then we'd talk about their behavior, and uh-oh, it doesn't match. As you line up your behavior with your unity philosophy, you'll find that you demonstrate in such a way that people will respect who you are. As Gandhi said, if you want to know why my religion, just listen to everything I say, everything I do, watch me uh, throughout my daily life. That's my religion. And as you demonstrate that, others will automatically realize that there's something really good going on, and they'll want to they'll want to know more about it. And you can then talk to them in a much less threatening way. Thank you. Folks want to speak. But first, I wanted to say, if you guys could just quickly go through kind of Unity's five principles for people who maybe have forgotten them or have not necessarily heard them, because we always have visitors. And then if I'll so briefly go over that, and then I've got a, I've got a question that I'll ask. Okay, so the five principles start out with there's only one. It's all that is. Everything is that. Now you might want to call that God, but you don't have to use that word. It just means everything, it's all one. And so a logical corollary, principle number two, is we are that. Yeah, and so it, it's very hard if you've been raised in traditional religion to say I am God, because that is blasphemy. Lightning bolts are coming down and you are on a straight path to hell, but that's embedded religion. If, if you just think about all there is is one, and it has, is it's expressing diversely, but it is all one. So that's principle one and two. Principle three is um, our consciousness is creating our reality. So we, we look outside the world and we see what we're looking for. And prayer is principle number four, is a treatment for changing our consciousness. It's not something outside. It's how do I change how I'm seeing this situation. And the fifth one is don't just think about all this stuff. Walk your talk. So that's, that's the quick and dirty, five principles. That's what we believe if somebody asks you five. Okay. Quick and dirty, oh. but you can't clean it up more than that. <laughs> okay. So this question is from Lawrence and Lorraine. They said... Um, what makes today a special day? I'm not sure exactly. That's, that's what all they wrote. I don't know if they have. Well, my answer would be, 
I'm here, I'm living, I'm breathing, you're here and living and breathing. I think we make each day a special day, right? Just to that point, it's, the, it's a choice. It's a choice. When we wake up every morning and we realize how blessed we are and we focus on that and then we pre-program our day by setting our intention as to how we want that day to turn out and as we follow that through, uh, with no complaints, <laughs> uh, that really makes it a special day. I think, and if you go into like the Course in Miracles, they talk about the holy instant. You know, really, this moment now is the only moment we have. This breath right now. So I think, you know, it's it's a work in progress to stay present. I mean, for all of us, but but the more that we're able to be present the more each moment becomes special. And we're not, we're not re requiring anything of life other than this breath. Yeah, I think we'll go like room to online. Oh, Dave, we'll do Dave next and then Carol. All right, um, time is relative, right? You fall asleep at night, you wake up, eight hours goes like that sitting through a traffic jam, time crawls really st stupid slowly, correct? So spiritually, in the moment, where, like if you're going through something, pain, stress, anguish, grieving, joy even, what spiritually would you say, how do we even that out? How do we get through the, the slow parts, speed up the slow parts and, and hold on to the fast parts a little more? I'm not clear on this. Can, I, can uh, I just reiterate what you said because I'm not well, yeah, sure what I'm you said. I'm saying if time is relative, you know, sometimes it goes quick, sometimes it goes slow based on what you're going through. Oh. There's moments like when I'm going through some of this stuff I'm going through right now, the, the day goes super slow mm -hmm. and agonizing. And then there's joyful times where, where did my day go? I wish I could have held on to that longer. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, any tips on getting the stuff quickly through, that you want to get quickly through, but holding on to the stuff that you don't want to slip away quite so. I think it's gratitude, Dave. I'm thinking about like when I was a kid and looking forward to Christmas. Do you remember that? Or, or the last day of school, the, things like that, that it's like, oh my God, it's never going to come. You know, it just seemed like time had gone so slowly. But when, you, but when you're in gratitude, everything stops and you're just being there now and you're not, you're not conscious of, you know, I gotta get here. So with what you're going through, you're, there's a very human tendency to, you wanna get to the cure and now it's all better and back to normal. You know, and the same thing with the pandemic where, you know, how m many of us are sitting here holding our collective breath waiting for it to get back to normal so we can be doing all the things we were doing before. And yet that's, that's denying what we're going through right now. And so our, our task is to just focus with gratitude and then it won't matter how fast or slow it's moving because we're grateful. That's my best take on it. and this is way too big to talk about today, but Course in Miracles and many other spiritual pathways really make the point that time itself is an illusion. Yeah. And it's a big, like, pew, 
blow your mind up topic, but I, I get glimpses of it every once in a while. But I do think the more, to your point, the more we stay present and not thinking forward or thinking back, the more time levels out. So Sai Baba uh, had, uh, there's a story Wayne D Dyer tells about Sai Baba who was in a wheelchair with multiple fractures uh, and some of his, uh, some of his uh, followers asked him, how in the world do you deal, how can any human being deal with being so upbeat when you're in such pain, you obviously must be in horrible pain. And his answer was, from a spiritual point of view, uh, I can deal with pain, I know I have pain, because I'm a human being. But I make a choice, a choice not to suffer. Mm -hmm. And you focus on the spiritual side of yourself and you allow yourself to let go of the suffering. And the pain may still be there, but you make a choice. I see Nolan back there. I want to honor our AV crew. For Nolan, sure. what would you like to ask us? Testing, 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 testing. Uh, how long did it take you guys to become an actual minister? Mm -hmm. So I think the answer is different for all of us. Um, Jim and I both went through a program called Minister of Light that the previous minister, Reverend Terry Hawkins, did. And so we took a bunch of classes, and that went on for... Oh, yeah, maybe about four years or something like that, and then she ordained us, and that was sort of un, under the umbrella of her ordination, which it turns out isn't a thing, but it worked out. <laughs> it worked out okay for us. And then, then when I became the minister here, when she retired, I had to go through the ordination process through Unity. And at that time, there was an alternative credentialing process. So they gave me a test, and I tested out of all the SEE classes except for a couple. And so I took those. And then they had, there were some phone conferences with the committee, and I had to go through some different hoops, things like, you know, actually read the book, The Five Principles, which was so useful because at that time, I didn't actually know what the five principles were. So anyway, they did some things like that with me and then finally decided that, yeah, you know, I was being the minister. I seemed to be doing a good job. I knew enough. Bless you, you're ordained. Uh, Sylvia is going through the actual process that it takes, so you can address that one. <laughs> not an ordained minister yet. I'm, I, took, I assumed that, so I'm sorry about that. But Nolan, for me, I think my path has been a little bit more traditional unity path. I started taking the prerequisites. I've been studying now about four and a half years and just finished the 900 credits. Now I will have next year an internship, and then in June of 2023. So for me, it's going to be, would that be about six and a half, seven years to get fully through the education piece and the ordination piece. But the other thing I would say to you, we're all ministers. We're all, we all minister to people and creatures and beings, um, whether we're ordained or not. If we're, if, we're, if we're helping a fellow being navigate life, we're ministering. So you already are in some ways, I would offer. Jim. Yeah, well, real quickly, uh, I've been hanging around Unity for 40 years, uh, and uh, I was a youth minister for seven years, 
And at some point, the minister in Austin, Texas, Mary Catherine McDougall, uh, nominated me for ordination by exception, which is you just get ordained because you've been in that business so long you know what you're doing. Uh, and the answer came back from Unity that you can't be ordained by exception unless you're already a minister. Catch 22? Anyway, uh, so I am a maverick minister, uh, and <laughs> I just, I'll leave it at that. And he's clearly exceptional. And Nolan, I do want to say, if you're thinking about this for yourself, you would be the bomb, buddy. You would be good. And we have, am I still on testing? Yep. Okay, we have one more question back here. All right, ministers. This is a question on prayer um, and being on the, the prayer team myself. Of course, I have a lot of exposure to it, but I want to get your thoughts on it. And one of the things that we, uh, if you've been at studying Unity, is that we were founded by Myrtle Fillmore initially and based Unity on prayer and healing. And her process that she went through was she prayed constantly for probably a couple of years or so at least until her healing started to happen. But she would talk about how it was a constant, never-ending, never letting go of that belief that she was going to heal. And she did. And then she shared that with others. And then in, also in Unity, we're also taught that if you want to pray, you pray once, you affirm, and you let it go. You don't need to come back to it because once you've affirmed it, it's done. And it's going to happen. So what, where do you guys fall between those two extremes of constant, never-ending praying for something you want, like healing, versus pray once, believe it, let it go? Oh, good question. I defer. <laughs> Our humanness is um, is always going to come. It's like you know, walking the dog. They're always going to be sniffing that stuff that you don't want them to sniff on the side of the road, right? And and I think that as humans, we're like that. We're always going to be gravitating toward the condition, and so prayer becomes a practice. And especially when we have, some, you know, it's one thing. Some things that we pray for are easy to get in that zone and we can really see it as real and boom, it's real. But mostly, it's, it's an ongoing thing and we have to keep in the practice of seeing it that way. So that would be my answer, Kevin. I would add that uh, every thought we have, every word we say is a prayer, whether we know it or not. Uh, it's going out there uh, into the universe from us to us, so to speak, because we're all one and we're all one with God. We're all one with spirit, with source, whatever you want to call it. So uh, just help to plant that seed that, and become aware that everything you say, everything you do, everywhere you go, that's all sacred. Everything you're doing, it's all a prayer. I would add Myrtle Fillmore also said when it comes to like healing, yes, it's an inside job. You, you, it, you, you hold your wholeness and your consciousness and then you eat right and you exercise and you take the actual, you use the tools that are available to you in the earthly realm as well. And so I, I would think that, I think she might, this is what I feel now like I'll get a lightning bolt if I think I'm channeling Myrtle, but I think... Um, uh, she would probably yeah, she would probably be able to walk or be able to hold that paradox 
of being in sort of continuous prayer, holding the affirmation, for instance, of her own wholeness, and yet also have a consciousness of releasing it to be so, right? Like knowing it's already so, it's happening, and yet she's just using the tool of imagination, which is one of Unity's 12 powers, right? She's imagining herself whole from whatever she's dealing with or whatever the person she's praying for is dealing with, with a sense of release, release of it because it's already underway. I don't know if that makes sense. But yeah, the, the cool thing is that she started by apologizing to every aspect yeah. of her body that she considered to be weak, uh, and she just continuously saw them all lit up and, and vibrant and, and scintillating and just changed that picture completely in her mind. And over two years, as uh, Kevin said, uh, she completely healed herself of tuberculosis, and she lived to be, what, 87, something like that, yeah. ripe old age. She was supposed to die at 45. Uh, surprised her husband, Charles, to the point where he actually started trying it out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Dan back there and William have got we're some gonna, questions. We're going to take another online real quick. Okay. Yeah, we've only had done one online. So yeah. and I know we, gonna, we're already at 10 after, so this is... So how, we're yeah, how much awesome time do we have? So yeah, we have several online, but I will just do the next one that came in. So Gary Nauta is asking about whether you, how do you know to believe or not to believe in life, um, that there is life or existence after this life? How do you know that there's life after this one? Well, no, he, well, so specifically he wrote, how do you know, or I'm assuming not believe that there is life or existence after this life? Like how, he's asking about making that decision. How do you, or whether it's related to unity specifically or? Well, unity uh, does uh, believe that there is life after life. In fact, a lot of people in unity believe in reincarnation. Charles did, for example. Uh, but for me, uh, I, have to, I can only speak personally. This is, everybody has to go through this. Uh, and you may not know the real answer until you make a transition. But for me, I had a near-death experience where I was out of my body, which most of you know, and it was such a profound experience to be not in my body but still conscious. And how do you answer the question of how is that possible? How is it possible that you're not in your body but you're still conscious? And that, to me, was the same sort of, let's say, a step toward that, uh, process of dying and being released into pure positive energy, which is what I picture. Uh, so uh, for me, it was uh, not a matter of guessing. It was a matter of just feeling uh, that knowingness that where I was yeah. was that step toward that. And I, ne- I never again had a disbelief that, uh, we're beyond, that we're more than our body, even though we hear that over and over and over again. And so it removed the fear of dying. It just it'll be something that'll be a kind of a, a cool experience at some point for all of us. Uh, not that I'm attracting it or wanting it to come sooner, but I'm not, I'm not at all concerned about it. Is there someplace people can go if they want to learn more about your story? <laughs> Thank you. Eric is the best promoter of my book. <laughs> it, it's in the back. The book, Flash. Flash. can't be destroyed. You can transform it. And so what would happen to us? We, you know, the energy, 
if you, if you realize that we are more than these bodies, you know, it's easy to say, okay, well, we got transformed into food for the worms, but, but our consciousness is who we are. Mm -hmm. So if, if you identify as, as the consciousness, then you're going to realize that you can't, you can't eliminate that. It's, it's gotta continue. That would be my answer. I would say for me, it's just been a, a couple of direct mystical experiences. It has, which I think is what I would say, kind of what you had, a, just a direct encounter of myself as connected to the vastness, much beyond. And I would also offer, I think it was the Dalai Lama who said, um, once you really allow the ego control to die, you no longer fear the physical death you, because once you once you die here death is no big deal meaning that so that'd be my take i think it's very personal for everybody okay carol's been waiting a minute my question uh jane's kind of already answered but um on a daily basis practical basis how do you connect with the divine on a conscious level, you know, like really not just think about it or believe it, but experience it. Do you have a practice or something that helps you do that? That's interesting, uh, if I could jump in, because that's exactly the question that you had over there, right? Raise your hand high. <laughs> Pat, Pat had that same question when we were talking, you know, how our reflection. and. Uh, he said, well, you know, for me, it's, uh, it's getting quiet and going into meditation and contemplation and prayer and so on. And I may not be saying exactly the right words, but... And I said, well, there's actually something that comes before that. You have to believe that there is such a thing as God. And so that's the, the beginning point, is that knowledge, that awareness, that belief. And once that's there, you can just open up and let it be, so to speak, the great mystery uh, is that it'll come to you if you let it be, as opposed to seeking so hard for it. Just open the door and uh, let it in. I have, uh, my spiritual practices have been totally transformational for me, and it happened when life really blew up for me many years ago. Um, and that is the point where my meditation and my practices no longer became the first thing that fell off the plate, right? the whole priority shifted. So I do start, with rare exception, like if I'm really traveling or something, I start every morning with about an hour of, um, I read the daily word, I might read just a little bit from Course in Miracles, and then I have quiet meditation time with that. Um, often I'll put the key, like the key thing that comes through, I'll write it on my daily do list because I'm pretty type A with all this. Um, and what I've been doing lately, this will make you laugh, probably what I've been doing lately because I'm going through the Course in Miracles again for I think the third time, all of 365 exercises. Once I open that, then I take that open book and I put it on the counter in the bathroom next to the toilet because I go in there pretty often. <laughs> I work from home. So that reminds me to like revisit, to come back out of my head and into Myrtle. I, I learned a beautiful term from Myrtle Phil, uh, Fillmore recently about spiritualizing your work. And so I'm being really conscious of that because I can really get into the intellect and my head and my drive. So those, are, those have been helpful for me. 
things that um, Mary Morrissey taught was she, she used doorknobs as a threshold. And every time she touched a doorknob or a handle, she trained herself to remember she's crossing a threshold into the sacred. And, and so you can do something like that, too, that um, just helps you to remind, like you're sacralizing the day. It reminds me of the talk I gave on John Muir, where he said, every time I walk between two pine trees, I am reactivated in terms of spirit. I see God. Mm -hmm. So he just feels that just in nature. Yeah, do we want to check in on time or do, are we good on time so far? Keep going. I, you know, I think we can go a little bit longer um, because we have a song and then announcements and offerings. Okay. William? Or was there? Dan? Okay, William. Um, I think we have a beautiful spirituality here that is uh, an open source spirituality, and we recognize spirituality in Native Americans and Taoists and Buddhists. And, and I believe we're living in a golden age. This is an epic time to be alive. Wizards. And wizards. And wizards. Um, how can we give this away? There are so many people out there that have lots of money, safety, you know, and people who don't. But, but the truth is people are reaching for something that isn't for sale. And we've been flooded now for a while with social media and, and media in general pointing out everything that's wrong with the world when, in fact, the, we live in one of the safest times in human history right now where education and information is available for everyone when so many generations couldn't even read and the written word was withheld for, for power. But, but we live in a place right now where people are starving for something that's not for sale. How can we at Unity give that away um, and, and make that available to the public who, who don't even know we exist right now, who see religion as... You know, and one of the things I can't do in religion or spirituality anymore is, is the thing where, well, we're going to heaven and everyone else is going to hell. You know, that, that paradigm doesn't work anymore, and we have a spiritual structure that's free of that paradigm. How can we present that to those who are looking for it, even though they may not be aware they're looking for it? I think there's a, you know, there, um, there probably are lots of marketing ideas that are out there in terms of getting the word out, but... But I would like to just have you remember when Harry met Sally. And you know that famous scene where I want, I want what she's having. <laughs> if you live the unity principles, they're going to want what yeah, you're having. That's exactly right. also offer because I've been in the ministerial school and because I'm I'm doing some sustainability work with Unity World Headquarters and all of that this is a big movement this is way be I mean we are part of something that is really at a very dynamic vibrant time right now nationally and internationally so um, yeah but that's a great answer I'll take and, what she's and bring a friend <laughs> yeah seriously invite your friends yeah. Yeah. Dan. Thank you. My wife and I are newer, I would say, attendees. So I want to thank you all. It's thank a great you. message. Um, I'm actually going to piggyback on what William was saying in a lot of ways. We live in a very unique time where society 
has been segregated. And COVID is its own topic. But in a lot of ways, society has been segregated economically, religiously, mm -hmm. physically, on many levels, okay? When I go out into my local life, as we all do, we all meet people who carry a sense of desire to escape and be liberated from a construct that's unhealthy for them, okay? And that can be, it could be religion, it could be money, it could be food, it could be anything. What is their pain, right? I oftentimes, I'm a local contractor, I oftentimes meet my peers and there is a loving community of good-natured men and women out there but sometimes they like to take the good-naturedness that is them just being a good human, and they'll wrap that in the shroud of evangelical Christianity, okay? I try daily to be at the same par, the same level that they operate at in terms of warm-heartedness, good nature, good community member, good father, good husband. I have to feel happy. I, I'm working more towards feeling happy and appreciative that I'm operating at a spiritual level of which we all are here, mm -hmm. okay? We don't have to, I, I, I desperately wanna take a picture of your, of your book that you pointed out earlier, okay? The Bible. Oh, Bible, yeah. Yeah. What a great concept. <laughs> We're not living in a narrow-minded way of thinking. Oh, my gosh. Guys, put that, put that chevron on your shirt. Put that Superman cape on. Be happy and carry that with us every day. And it like a prayer, whatever you want will happen. Yeah. Truly. We can do it, right? It's not, there has to be a countermeasure against narrow-minded thinking. And that's all of us. I think that with the narrow-minded thinking, Dan, I know that I get into this myself and I have to keep healing myself so I don't go there. We don't want to be judging people for being narrow-minded because then it's the pot calling the kettle black. And yeah. And I think if you can, if you can look at narrow-mindedness as, as something that's helping people deal with fear. Like I had a brother-in-law who was, um, he was born again. He was in 12-step program. He, he, had, he had done things in his life that were pretty awful. And so he was not able to see me as okay because I was not proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And without that phrase, it didn't matter how spiritual I was or what I said, I was just, mm. You were segregated. Yeah, there are some paths you don't walk down, he said. And, but 
what I realized is because he didn't trust himself when left to his own devices, he'd been all out there doing things that he was ashamed of. And so he needed really narrow guardrails. And so when I realized that, it was so much easier for me to love him because he had guardrails that were helping him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet their parking lot is full, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And I can't help but just drive by and just feel sad. Yeah. I just go, that's terrible. It's just mm-hmm. poor people. Mm-hmm. Yet they're happy to just throw money at them, yeah. right? I would offer on a very deep level, I don't think anyone else can segregate me. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that's a choice. I will also offer um, that... I, be, I do believe that that kind of Christianity, we've spoken about it, Naomi and I spoke about it. Of all, I, as a kid, went through a lot of different type of abuse, and the most damaging one, by far, was the religious abuse. But I will also offer my mom, who was very much that way, was terrified for my soul, did an exorcism on my things when I was in the hospital with this original knee injury, Um, She and I can now talk about spiritual stuff, and it's mostly because I can now hear her terminology and place my different view on it. You know, um... Well, I think again. I this is a we're gonna, we're run, we're out of time. But I do think again. I do not think it it is a unity principle, nor does it serve unity, to be run over, or to just let someone spew stuff that we know is crap. With my mom, I would literally say, "Mom, I'm not going to talk about the Satan thing. I've I, I've let that go. You know, I'm I don't believe that. But let's talk about something else instead. You know, I." I do think unity needs to have boundaries. we got to stop talking. I would like to end with one image that you take with you, and that is of a wheel, okay? And all the different religions and all different philosophies are on the outside of it coming toward the center, and God is at the center. And so you look like you're coming from this way, and I look like I'm coming from the opposite way. But ultimately, we're all going to reach that center one way or another. So if you take that image with you. Can, can I wrap one thing? I'm so honored to be up here with these two. I just want to get that out there. Such wisdom here, um, truly. And great questions, you guys. We were kind of like, what if we get crickets? You know, so this has been great. How did you like it?